Are you haunted? Yeah. You want to get on the haunted? <sighs> oh, yeah. Well, I'd kill him. Shoot him in the face. Put him down like a dog. I can't believe what you're telling me. See, nothing I just said about you. You do that? Fuck, don't deserve to live. Look, he just haunted me, you know? I mean, I do want to kill him, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail. Hey, man, I don't blame you. I thought I'd get away with it. Get away with it? Killing's the hard part. Getting away with it? That's easy. You think a cop gives a fuck about a pimp? Listen, every pimp in the world gets shot. Two in the back of the fucking head. Cops will throw a party, man. As long as you're not at the scene of the crime, smoking gun in your hand, you get away with it. Clarence, I like you. I always have. Always will. Are you gonna bark all day, little doggy, or are you gonna bite? Yeah, yeah. There are several sacred things in this world that you don't ever mess with. One of them happens to be another man's fries. Now you remember that, and you'll live a long and healthy life. Just us, the cameras, and those wonderful people out there in the dark. Science fiction, the wave of the future. I wonder where a guy in everyday Joe like myself could find a little action. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have a movie, you know, that you love, you know, sometimes you, I mean, we talk about a lot of different movies on this podcast, you know, we talk about a lot of different things under the sun, you know, a lot of topics, but every now and then a movie comes along and it lasts, it endures, it stays with you, you know, and uh, this is, this is one of those movies, the movie we're talking about tonight. It's it's one of those flicks. This movie that we're about to talk about, sir, it's a very special movie. I hold it very close to my heart. You know, I don't know if you can make it out in the background here, but uh, the tale of Clarence and Alabama. What what a honeymoon! That's all I'm gonna say. What a honeymoon, huh? What a romance! A true romance, if you will. And you had never seen this movie, so I thought, hey, you know what? Why why why, why just go down to the old rigmarole or the old watering hole and get any old smoozle or smooth lay down the lane to, to, to add some kind of rhetoric to this, to this never-ending uh, narration that is life, this facade, you know? Or, or I could reach out to Jay Clark. Jay motherfucking Clark. Jay motherfucking Clark. A man whose, whose opinion on film is, is matched only by his desires. Hmm? And good looks. And his good looks, of course. <laughs> of course, sir. So uh, so this is going to be one of those episodes. We're going to give this movie the love it deserves, you know? Because the this romance. Is, 
we're going to give it all the romance. Um, and I hope this movie had as much of an impression, although you didn't see it back in the day like I did. Maybe you didn't grow up with this movie like I did. But I hope this movie had just as much of an impression on you as it has on me. It truly did. Wonderful film. <laughs> not, you're not being sarcastic. You really liked it. Loved it. I loved it, right? Yeah, it's my favorite movie of the year. Did you love it or did you or did you fucking love it? I I, I gave it a lot of love. I gave it uh two thumbs up. Two thumbs up, huh? Mm-hmm. And that's the show, kids. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> that's all we have for you. If there's anything we said on this show that made you wonder, wait a minute, we can't just stop to start the show like that. Come on, we need a little bit more pep in our step. One in the one in the sting. You know, two thumbs up for sure. Um Love this movie. Like uh, almost everything about it, to be honest. Everything about it. Can't wait to deep dive it. Yeah. Can't wait to deep dive it. Can't wait to go down on it. Can't wait to screw it. Can't wait to turn it over and and, and forget its name. But uh, I'm sorry. What? What kind of a love tryst have you been under? Where you been spending your nights? Don't worry about it. Welcome to Comic-Con's podcast, kids, a geek podcast for the rest of us who are the motherfucking rest of us. Well, the people that don't take that shit this seriously. And joining me on the mic is Mr. J. Clark on the Zito Bucks 350. And we're talking about your romance. 30th anniversary, directed by Tony Scott, written by Quentin Tarantino, an ensemble, or ensemble, depending on where you come from, cast that's just marked and matched and molded and malleable we got christian slater and, and patricia arquette headlining we got michael rapaport showing for good time brad pitt on a couch gary oldman in one of his best roles ever samuel jackson pops up to say hello don't forget about that james gandolfini <laughs> you gotta give him a monologue even though his character clearly didn't need one everybody's got something to say we got fucking rubinick saul rubinick playing uh, a, a, a makeshift joel silver we got fucking the guy from perfect stranger showing up for a good time wearing a wire we got fucking tom sizemore playing a character from another tarantino movie we got people saying something's rotten in Denmark. We got fucking Chris Penn showing up. He don't know who shot, caught, not. Don't worry about it. We got an ensemble cast. Did I mention Dennis Hopper and Chris Walken? Oh, yeah, they're in it, baby. We got fucking Val Kilmer playing a little tidbit secret. Well, more on that in a little bit. We got everybody showing up for a good time. How did they get this cast in 1993? Yeah, how they pulled this off. The cast, Um, it, it, it was a revelation. Because, like I said, I haven't, I never seen this movie, didn't know really much about it. All I knew is Tarantino wrote, Tony Scott directed, of course. Clarence, uh, what's his name? Christian Slater. Christian Slater starred. That's it. So you had no the, idea. You had you went in no this. Idea. You went into this with blinders. It's beautiful. Yeah, all blinders. So you had. So tell me then. Tell the Kamikazes. Because a lot of folks, you know, when they found out. I, I might, you know, we teased it, and I now, and I was like, you know, people are like, man, when are you gonna do True Romance? When are you gonna do True Romance? Because it was kind of a, it was a little blip on the internet radar, you know. There was some, you know, Palm Clementif or Palm Clementif uh, was even walking around with a True Romance shirt, you know. Apparently, there was a screening in Hollywood for, for uh, the anniversary of this, although it was low key because of the actor strike, so a lot of people weren't really doing a whole lot of buzz on it. So tell me, sir, tell me what your first thoughts were when you walk into this movie. You're like, okay. Tony Scott, sure. He directed Man on Fire. He did Days of Thunder back in the day. This is 90s Tony Scott, so what am I in for here? He did Top Gun. What am I in for here, you know, with a Tarantino script? This is before Pulp Fiction. You know, this is probably 
a year or two after Reservoir Dogs, so Tarantino was kind had kind of made his mark, but not he hadn't blown up yet. What were your thoughts initially? You ju- the movie starts completely aware, yeah, of of everything what I'm watching because yeah, it is that kind of like unicorn of a film where you know it's Tony uh, Scott uh, Scott directing, Quentin writing, and that doesn't really happen very often. A sign from your natural born killers, I believe. Yeah. Um, which I think that was another movie he wrote and Oliver Stone directed. And it was all to finance, you know, his projects or Pulp Fiction, probably. Um, so, yeah, coming into this, I was super very focused because you get that Ridley Scott, I'm sorry, Tony Scott, you know, filmography, cinematography kind of style. But you get that, you know, that dialogue, this amazing story, these uh, crazy, beautiful characters. And yeah, I I was ready for the ride, and oh boy, did not disappoint. This movie is one of those movies that, you know, growing up, you know, when I first saw it, I didn't recognize it for anything. And I liked it when I first saw it, but I was like a teenager. And when I got older and I paid more attention to like, you know, writing and direct writers and directors, I always kind of even as a kid, I, I I kind of paid more attention to that than other kids. Like I would recognize actors and things and be like, oh, that's the guy from this thing. And he did this with this guy. And, and I was kind of had, I, like you said, I had an awareness. Um, but as I got older, like in high school and even in college, especially in college and early twenties, this would be the movie that I would play for like a young girl, like over at the house, you know, like I, I would like, this would be like the test, you know, like if she can make it through this movie. Mm. she then she's a keeper you know mm. and it's hilarious because i'm talking to my wife and she goes she's like what do you watch i'm watching true romance you know, did you ever see this she goes i saw it like a million years ago like some old boyfriend put it on for me and i was like, <laughs> i was like oh he's like yeah i think it's a movie that guys put on to like try to impress girls <laughs> that they're cool and i'm like oh my god and my whole my whole tower just came crumbling down um, the entire estate was raided by the FBI at Mar Mar-a-Lago, and I everything <laughs> had to be locked up, and um, you know, and she and she just exposed me, and I was like, oh my god, that really was, that was me, because it wasn't '89, it wasn't '92, uh, it wasn't even Delta City, folks. I'm not even gonna say the names of these movies anymore. People that listen to this podcast now, they know what it is. You know, they it wasn't any of those movies for some reason. True Romance, and it for a long time was my number one favorite movie of all time. It's still in my top five. I think Robocop might have slid to the top of that list, ironically. But, <laughs> but but this movie just has so much in it. It's got love. It's got action. It's got it's got humor. But like I said, I joked about James Gandolfini having a monologue. Everybody gets a piece, very much like in a Tarantino film. But with Tony Scott's acting, it gives it a different kind of lens, literally and 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 metaphysically. It gives it like a a different viewpoint with these with these these wonderful words cascading out of everyone's mouths. I mean, even even I mean, I don't want to. I'm, I'm going to be all over the place with this movie, but even characters that you wouldn't think would have like a scene, they would just get introduced and that would be it. Are allowed to chew the scenery and explore and like mm-hmm. you really feel like these characters these are real people. Like they're all crazy. Spoilers, kids. Everyone in this movie is fucking insane. Um. But that's what makes it so beautiful, right? Mm, correct. Uh, I'm glad you um, told that that bit right there 
about the uh, how you first of all you were you had girls over in '93. No, I'm saying when I got older. Oh, when was, you got I, older. Okay. Yeah, I like I was, say, I was, because I was about 11 when this came out. I didn't yeah. see it till I was about 15. And then when I got older and in my 20s, that's when I would start like, you know, if girls came over to the apartment, you know, oh, you want to watch a movie? This would be one of those movies I'd put on to be like, all right, if you can, I think you'll like this. Yeah, you're um, a total Clarence because I think that's what the character does. Exactly. From the beginning of the movie. He tries exactly. to like, yeah, try to bring in a girl into his world, but it has to be through this like kind of cinema lens. and, and Right. Kung Fu movies, and, Apple yeah, Pie. Pop culture. Elvis, you know, except in this, in the, except in my world, it was Pearl Jam. It'd be like, so have you, have you heard this album? <laughs> oh no, we all know you know about 10, but have you heard this album from 96? You know, the B-side on this album when Jack Irons was playing drums. I mean, I was that guy, you know what I mean? And Clarence Worley, I just identify with him so much, aside from the crazy, uh, you know, homicidal uh, bouts of, uh, you know, murdering people. But I feel him, you know? Mm. And I'm not the only one. Quentin Tarantino went on record saying that this movie is his most autobiographical movie. I was going to say, I did catch that a little bit. It was literally like I was watching, especially when I saw him going into that, you know, comic book shop, music store. And I can just see Quentin Tarantino behind the counter at that VHS store, you know. Exactly. I mean, a comic book store for Clarence, a VHS store for Quentin. And of course, I identified immediately with Clarence when he's in the comic book shop and he's breaking down this comic for Alabama. Unbeknownst to him is a call girl that's been hired by his boss to show him a good time on his birthday. And you think when you start this movie, oh, this might just be like kind of one of those like rinky dink, you know, uh, cutting 90s ish, cutting edge, you know, quasi vulgar rom coms. Right. You might think it might be a little bit of a tryst. But except she's a call girl and then he has to go to Drexel. Her, her soon-to-be former pimp to get her things back. And that's where the whole fucking movie takes a turn. Never mind the fact that he's talking to Elvis in a bathroom played by the fucking undeniably unparalleled Val Kilmer. I mean, am I right? How great was that little... I don't know why I'm doing all the talking. What was that like for you when you when you when he goes into the bathroom and you realize he's talking to fucking Elvis. No, dude, you're fine. This is your show, dude. This is your movie, and I can see why. Um, I love love Val Kilmer as Elvis in this. Oh, it, 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 I've always suspected that Tarantino. Um, I don't know who influenced who, but he reminds me a lot of like Garth Ennis mm. and his works, like Preacher. You know, yeah. I'm a big fan of Preacher. And in Preacher, you had the main, you know, you had uh, Custer. Imagine John Wayne. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I love that take where it's like uh, in our Western civilization, you know, we're conjuring our gods, our pop culture god, you know. Mm. And and and, and it, it, I love that, yeah. You, I'm glad you brought that Preacher bit up because I always love a scene – in anything, I think back to that Mila Jovovich movie, uh, The Messenger, where she played Joan of Arc. And in that particular portrayal of, of the story of Joan of Arc, she's talking to what would be the devil in her cell, but it's played brilliantly by Dustin Hoffman. Now, whether or not you want to believe the devil was truly there or not, either way, but I always love any story, comic, movie, book, where somebody is talking to somebody else that may or may not be there. In their mm. own psychosis, it's there. It's real. And that's why immediately when I was like, wait a minute, is he is he really fucking talking to Elvis in the bathroom right now? And it's a real conversation. Like, I mean, what should I do? You feeling haunted? You want to get unhaunted? Yeah, I want to get unhaunted. Yeah. Two in the back of the fucking skull. Cops will throw a party, man. 
I'm like, mm. oh man, Elvis is telling you. To... Now on paper, you're like, Elvis told me to kill this guy. Okay, you're a little crazy. But there's something that's romanticized about this in a way. It's like, oh no, we're actually glad that Elvis told him to kill this guy because it turns out this guy's a piece of shit and a horrible human being. Well, yeah, like um, it's that good angel on like your yes. right, your shoulder, and the 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 little demon on your left shoulder, and in Quinn Tarantino that he just blurs that that line. You know, it's both. So Elvis here. Both is that figure or you know father figure or that guy lends guidance and inspiration and influence in a obviously good way but in a bad way also he kind of leads him into this you know journey also of 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 violence and mayhem i mean everybody's played brilliantly here you know christian slater doesn't have to do too much he could have just kind of phoned it in but he didn't like he really absorbed this character for being kind of manic and and on edge, but but also cool and relaxed at the same time. So cool that when Alabama's telling him like, "No, nah, I really, I, I really don't want you to go back to that place and get my things. You know, you don't, you don't know him. You don't know Drexel." And he's like, "No, you don't know me. Not when it comes to shit like this." And it's like, "Oh, now the movie's taking a turn." And he shows, he shows up at the pimp house, and who, who's there? Who's there with his dreadlocks and all his glory and the fucking, <laughs> the scar and the eye? It's fucking Gary Oldman. Playing a pimp who thinks is a black guy. Who thinks he's black. Alabama even says it in the movie. He's like, because like, cause Clarence is like, is he black? No, he thinks he is. Said his mom was like Apache or some shit, but you know, we all know it's <laughs> bullshit, you know? And, and brilliantly, too. Dude, he, I, I, every time I watch it, I don't even look at Gary Oldman. I'm watching Drexel. I'm watching this dude who I believe has been living in Detroit all his life and thinks he's a black man. And will say till the end of his days, which are ironically sooner than he thinks, that it's not white boy day. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Especially that scene, I'm going to just drop it in the fucking show. I love the fucking scene when he's calling out Clarence. I'm still a mystery to you. But I know exactly where your white ass is coming from. See if I ask if you want some dinner? And you grab the egg roll and start to try down. I said to myself, this motherfucker, he's carrying on like he ain't got a care in the world. And who knows? Maybe he don't. Maybe this fool's such a bad motherfucker. He don't got to worry about nothing. He just sit down, watch my motherfucking TV. See? <laughs> you ain't even sat down yet. And that TV over there, since you've been in the room, is a woman with her breasts is hanging out. You ain't even bothered to look. You just been clacking me. I know I'm pretty, but I ain't as pretty as a couple of titties. I know I'm pretty, but I ain't as pretty as a pair of titties. And Clarence <laughs> breaks it down. Clarence breaks it down, and he fucking. I mean, I so could do good. the whole. I could just do the whole film, dude. I know. I know this film like the back of my hand. So good. And it's just so raw, and like just that whole shootout scene. You know, I mean, why is that shootout scene so great? Is it because he's like he goes in there? It's like a lone gunman kind of thing, and he goes in there. Like Galahad, full steam ahead. You know, just turns on the volume on, and the violence just in, yeah. you know, out of nowhere. And it's a Mexican standoff, oh, you know, all of a out. sudden. And he, yeah, no punches pulled. And and yeah, that's a that's a, such a great Quinn Tarantino thing. And yeah, Gary Oldman just freaking crushed it. And like you said, it's all these like great actors that have all these like windows. But Tarantino kind of like lets them play. Yeah. 
know, and because the, the, the imagination is just through the roof. So he just lets his actors, you know, play in this in this world, and they they just come up with the most interesting, uh, brilliant ideas. And that's what that's what makes it so great. I think that's why Tarantino is who he is because it, the movie would have been. Let's be real. The movie would have been fine if he just went in there and there was a shootout scene and only a few words exchanged. We still would have gotten the point. The message still would have been well received. But the fact that we got a chance to really get a breakdown of who Drexel really was, to Clarence at least, it made the intensity of that scene that much more heightened. And it was like you you were like, oh shit, like. Some shit's about to fucking go down. And when it does go down, it's plausible, too. It's not like he went in there Bruce Willis-style, John McClane-style, and just blasted away a bunch of dudes, you know? No, he went in there. It was sloppy. The whole thing was fucking... He left his driver's license. Fuckhead that he is left his driver's license at the scene of the crime, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's just messy. And that's what real violence is. It's just messy, and it's violent, and there's passion, and you're like, oh, fuck. I mean... yeah. I'm pretty sure he emptied that whole gun in fucking Drexel's face. <laughs> he did. He did. Um, yeah, he shot him in the balls and then shot him right in the face right afterwards. Dude. <laughs> Dude. Um, no, and, it's it, and the killer and the killer is when he gets back to the apartment. You think Alabama's crying because what he's done is horrendous and it's dangerous, but she says it's the most romantic thing anybody's ever done. For and you're like, oh shit, these two. These two are right for each other. And yeah, all, no, and here it's, we go. It's great, man. It's great. Um, yeah, the violence, the uh, these characters. Yeah, I love what they what he did with it. Um, again, that that preacher. Going back to that preacher thing, I I feel like I'm seeing Jesse Custer in Tulip. You know, mm, I think of Patricia Arquette. Much. You know, the blonde and you know the road and 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 going on this journey. What was that 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 chick at the bar? She, I remember her from The Crow. Um, yeah, she she's been in a lot of things. I don't know her name either. She's a character actress. She's she does what she does best, right? She plays like the yeah. floozy, the floozy, because she even showed up in Unforgiven. She's the girl that gets all cut up and cleaned up. Has to, has to go did in you, town. Do you think like um? Because I kind of thought for a second she might be kind of like a like a Marilyn Monroe. Did yeah, you, she was like, she was like a Marilyn Monroe, maybe a Marilyn Monroe sit-in or or model at one point. Yeah, but you know, but, like, but maybe like spiritual, like I see because he's Elvis, right? Kind of. Um, Clarence is kind of like an Elvis in this. He is. I, I mean, he, he wants he, he definitely wants to be in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought for a second, like she might be, um, you know, Marilyn Monroe, and, and she's kind of at the end of her you know, journey and, and the pop culture thing, whatever. I thought that was very interesting. But this Alabama is one tough cookie. She's no damsel. Patricia Arquette, man. Yeah. She is. I think that's why I think this movie, this movie is really why, like, I'll always love Patricia Arquette. I mean, yeah, she's a great actress. I liked her in that movie Boyhood where she played the mom and she was really phenomenal in that movie. Uh, but she doesn't do a lot. And when she does do a lot, it's kind of like underscored and you don't really get like, I don't, it's, it's not like she doesn't get work. But you don't see her in a lot of leading roles. So when she is in a role like this, and she just fucking killed it. This is this is my favorite movie of hers now, and this is also my favorite Christian Slater movie. Well, same here. Because I don't think I've ever seen him in a role like this. And and Patricia Arquette, like she deserves the world for this movie. Like she was amazing. Like that scene where she kind of reveals, and it's kind of pretty much a lot of exposure too in the dialogue. She's 
you know, confessing that she's been with him because she was basically hired by his boss. Right. I'm not what you call cheap white, you know, I'm cheap Florida white trash. You know what I mean? Yeah, but her delivery, her performance, the warmth in it, you feel sad for her. There's so much going on. And uh, and and yeah, in 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 one scene, you know, she goes from this uh, love interest to being, you know, maybe a, a having an agenda or lying to him, and it's just sweet. It's like it, she she's just she's just great in the role, like throughout the movie. If there's anybody uh, listening to this show that hasn't watched this movie, I mean, stop listening to this episode immediately and find like the movie's on Prime. You can fucking buy it on Vudu for like I think like seven or eight bucks. Get the director's cut. It's worth it. I'll also say this. If you like <laughs> if you like Michael Rappaport, he's fantastic too. Okay. Now Alabama and Clarence, they find Coke at Drexel's. They thought it was he thought it was Alabama's clothes. I guess the prostitute that worked there just stuffed it stuffed it in a suitcase and gave it to him, thinking that's what he was there for in the first place. And hilarity ensues because that Coke belongs to some well to do uh we'll just call him what? mob? Mob men, mafia, mob boss. So they're after him. You know, he tries to sell the coke in Hollywood to some would-be famed producer, which I again I know for a fact was modeled after Joel Silver, and that was fucking brilliant. Um, and hilarity ensues, and she defends that. Not only does she, I mean, she could have just given James Gandolfini the coke when he confronted her, but she didn't. But she didn't. You know, she tried her. She tried her charm, and when that didn't work, she went fucking full ham. And boy, did she ever like that fucking scene. Every time I watch it, it's still a little hard to watch because it's very visceral. Um, I mean, yeah, it's everything. Uh, it's, did you it's see that brutal. coming when you saw James Gandolfini show up? Did you see that coming? No, not that. Yeah, not like that. Because um, I've still seen James. Cause I, I did watch for the first time or finished Sopranos last year. So I'm still seeing kind of like that Gandolfini seeing, yeah. where... He would never, you know, lay hands on a woman like that. So it was surprising to say the least. Uh, but this not is young the same Gandolfini. Time. And this is young yeah. Gandolfini. And it's a young Gandolfini. And I thought he was great in this role. They were both great in that in that scene. And Patricia Arquette definitely like dished it out and 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 she, you know, she she turned up the 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 viciousness and and she didn't take it, you know. Because you would think, oh, the guy, you know, Clarence is going to come in through the door and rescue and, her and right. rescue her. And that, you know, the damsel. And, the, and no, this is the Tarantino movie. You know, he gives the females uh, their moments, too. And and she took down Gandolfini. <laughs> Dude, I love like, that scene where he like, you know, he's obviously being he's obviously being a ruthless motherfucker. You know, he starts beating her up. He's throwing her around. He's trying to where's the coke? Where's the coke? Ironically, it's under the bed the entire time. <laughs> But then he sits down before he finds out, before he sees where the coke is. He sits down, smokes a cigarette, and just breaks down all the different times he's had to kill people and how it was hard at first and how pulling the trigger, he'd get sick thinking about it. And then, like, he got used to it. And now he just does it just to watch Dude. the expressions. Like, that whole scene, like, we got insight into that one henchman's character, into who he was. And only a writer like Tarantino would do that. Like, you know, it's not just some guy because, again, the movie would have worked just fine on paper if the guy showed up, did some shit, said a few lines, and then she pieced him out. You know what I mean? That could have been the movie. But it wasn't like it was more than that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just can't stop. 
and in fact, I'm actually going to restart the movie because it just finished. Um, I watched like half of it. I tried to get Jen to watch it with me. She's like, I haven't seen it in two years. I'm, or like, I haven't seen it in millions of years. So I'm just going to. Yeah, I don't know how this one just slipped under my fingers for so long. I can't, you know, you know, I love movies and stuff. I never seen True Romance. And I know it's like a lot of people's like favorite movie. Um, and I can see why. Uh, I mean, in 93. There's a lot of good fucking movies in '93. There's a lot of good movies. This, you was, know, what this... I was watching in '93, Airborne. Fair that enough. Rollerblade movie. Fair enough. '93. <laughs> so I was 11. '93. So I was 11, and I was actually uh, still overseas. And so that was around the same time, I think. Yeah, I think we were still overseas, and I was, I was probably. I think I was still probably watching stuff like, you know, um, Naked Gun and um, I'm trying to think of other movies that came out in 93. Boneheads, Robin Hood. Um, yeah. I mean, there was just so much that came on. My mom, yeah. my mom would just rent it and rent it, you know. And so, I again, I didn't see this till like high school. I just saw it in Blockbuster and I was like, oh, it's got all these fucking people in it. Oh, I'm going to rent it. Yeah. Schindler's List. Nightmare Before Christmas. This is Doubtfire. A lot of great movies in 93. Definitely didn't see... Actually, you know what? That's not true. I wasn't overseas. I was stateside, but it was right before we moved to where we moved. Tombstone. Great year. Great year. Great year. But th th then you realize like Tarantino, his voice was just as big in, in part of the 90s and it's, as it started. Because even though like he was doing these scripts... And obviously funding Pulp Fiction. And we all know what happened two years later. So I think Pulp Fiction came out in 94, 95. Yeah, Pulp Fiction was 94. I think Reservoir Dogs was 91. or No, Reservoir Dogs was 92, I think. Mm. So he did he did Reservoir Dogs. I think that went to Cannes. And so he started getting some notoriety. He wrote this script. Tony Scott directed it. And I think in 94, the same, either 93 or 94, he did Natural Born Killers. Um, and well, point, I thought that was Oliver Stone. Let me see. He wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, and, and what's another thing that's great about this is like, you probably already know this, but you know, Vincent from Reservoir Dogs is Vincent in Pulp Fiction. It's the same character, just two different actors. And they have different, yeah. and they have different fates in, in those different movies. Mm -hmm. And then the cop, I want to say the cop in True Romance, not Chris Pine's, not Chris Penn's character, but Sizemore's character Sizemore. is the same cop that was in. Um, it's one of the same cops that's mentioned in Reservoir Dogs as being oh, a ball, Reservoir, yeah, as, as being a ball busting prick. When he's like, "Who you got for a PO?" Uh, some fucking ball buster named Scagnetti. Scagnetti is in True Romance. He's the one that's saying, "Hey, we just want credit for the bust." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and him and Penn go up there to fucking throw down, and you know, doesn't work out too well. This but is I, a very different movie. Like, um, I'm thinking about like, uh, like Gary Oldman's character. Is it? Is is it? Is it? Um, what is it? Taxi Driver. You know, Scorsese. Is it? Um, uh, another actor that's worked in Pulp Fiction. He did that pimp character. Um, in uh, Taxi Driver, but he's a white guy, Italian. You oh, Kaitel, Kaitel. Like, yeah, Kaitel. You know, but, what I'm but but Harvey Kaitel was playing that '70s version of what that pimp was. 
You know, he's. Yeah, but that's with... what in- influenced Tarantino in a way. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. What I'm, what I'm going at is that I think there's a like a lot of these characters. I right, like all these. There are all these movies in a way, and he's just like you know what I'm saying, picking apart and subverting a lot of these roles. You know, oh yeah, it's your pimp, but no, it's a white guy with dreadlocks, and he thinks right. he's black. Right. Uh, right. And and it reminds me of, of Kaitel a bit in a way, uh, but it also like. And even the jacket, because he has this like 1950s kind of style to to Clarence, like in his jacket or his or you know throwback, because he's an Elvis guy in a way. But he puts on that military jacket, and again, it reminded me of uh, uh, De Niro in that. Uh... So I'm watching that as they come down, you know, after they get they got married. And he's got and the he green army jacket. jacket. And yep. all I'm thinking is, okay, wait, is he with the sunglasses? It's very Travis Pickle. Very yeah, Travis is Pickle. He Travis yeah. Pickle is, is, you know, craziness and, and violence going to ensue from this guy? Is he going to go, you know, and, and obviously he did. So it's, it's, Dude, it's, it's I great see a lot he's of got like, the, love, yeah, he's got the Elvis uh, glasses and he's got the pink Cadillac. Mm. And, you know, so there's a lot the of that purple. too. Kind of, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, the purple. Yeah, it is pink. Pink Cadillac. Cadillac. Now he's he's got it. He's got the purple Cadillac. He's got the Elvis glasses, the Green Army jacket. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he even says when when they meet up with Dennis Hopper, his dad, he goes, you know, we're minimum wage kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and by the way, Dennis Hopper as his dad, you, you kind of knew going into that when they met him that he wasn't long for this world. Or did you? Did you? I mean, because I, I don't know about you, but like. You know, they they he hints at his relationship with his dad. Like, did I ever point my finger at you and you were a drunk? No, everybody else did, but I didn't. And I just need a little help. Can you just see if anything knows anybody? If anybody knows anything about us, you know? Well, you, you fucking left your driver's license at the scene of the crime, motherfucker. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm watching it, and you know, I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, oh, I feel like something bad's gonna happen to his dad. Yeah. You know, and then I, sure, I, sure I, enough, Chris Walken shows up. Yeah, I knew. When was it? When he gave him the the piece of paper with the address of right, where they were going. Right. I was like, "Oh, he fucked. He, he's fucked." And he's then fucked. he said, "I love you, son." Yeah. You know, which is yeah. appropriate being the last words that he would. Yeah. Uh, and I also yeah, appreciate. Got... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. But but I also appreciate like as I got older and I got sober and I rewatched this movie. He's like, "Yeah, you can you can drink, right, Dad?" He goes, "I can." But I don't. <laughs> no, that was one right. of the best lines. Oh, dude, movie. it's great because you can because right then and there you see it. Like you don't even need like you don't even need to know his biography. You just know, oh, here's a guy who was a drunk, struggled, um, yeah. He struggled, and now he's clean and sober, and he just works nights as a security guard, mm. and he lives in this little shack in this little ramshackle uh, trailer with his dog. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just like that's it's so real, like that's so real, you know. And Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken in the scene. Oh my God, we could spend a whole hour just talking about that scene. <sighs> now, come on, first time you had no idea what you were walking into. What do you think of that scene? Break it down for me. Christopher Walken, like his presence, his stature. He's so elegant in the role and charming and ruthless, and just. He was amazing in the role, just so great, so great. And uh, and Dennis Hopper, of course. That that banter between them both and these like giant actors, yeah, you know. And it was perfect. It was so good. It was so good. It's always great when a villain asks the the would be pro- 
you know, well, I, I don't know if you'd call Dennis Hopper's character protagonist, but he, at, at least to us, he's the the father of the protagonist. And it's always great when like a villain offers somebody else a cigarette and he's like, Chesterfield? No, thanks. And then when he kind of gets into it and they start beating him up, beating him up a little and he's like, you see that? Smarts, don't it? Stings up in the nostrils, eyes get all fucked up. You know, kind of fun. But what I have to offer, that's as good as it's going to get. And it won't ever get that good again. <laughs> Just, no, it's great because it uh, is a power. It's a uh, power struggle between these two guys. It's 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 in words. He's not afraid it, of him. He's no no fear. He's not afraid and of him. It, there's a battle between these two guys that only I think Christopher Walken and him can see. The other guys are probably well, half of them don't understand English, of course, but uh and yeah, and who comes out the winner? Who goes more honorably? Who is the, the you know hero goes out as a hero? And it's uh, the thing about denying that that cigarette is that no, I I tell you when, when I, want I want a cigarette when I'm smoking. I'm when you know I decide when I how I go out and, and when and, I go out. And that shift, if you watch that scene, and I'll drop I'll drop the whole fucking scene in the goddamn episode. I don't care. It's fucking beautiful. It's a work of art. And yes, there's some colorful language in that scene that I that I would that I wouldn't repeat to somebody. You know what I'm saying? But it's the great, what that scene is about is not about that word in that scene. That scene is about a guy, like you said, he's not afraid. He was a former cop. He's staring death in the face. He's not going to give up the whereabouts of his son. And when he realizes, when the tone shifts and he realizes, oh, they're not just going to beat the shit out of me and fucking get the fuck out. Like, I'm I'm a dead man. I'm going to tell this story, whether it's make-believe or not, my own little take of history that's that's going to piss this motherfucker off and I'm going to go out with a bang literally. You know what I mean? Like you see yeah. it on his eyes when he when he takes a cigarette. You see it after he tells the story. And, you know, he gets the kiss of death from from Walken's character. Mm-hmm. I'm the fucking antichrist. You never saw evil so personified as the death of the face product. I'm already fucking it up. So but it was so good. So it was damn so damn. good. And to the point where every scene was line by line Tarantino, apparently, except the last two words, eggplant and cantaloupe. That was all Hopper and Walken Im- improvising. I didn't know. That's great. And that's um, great. Well, it's it's he's a Sicilian, he's Italian, so the it's all about his pride. He's trying yeah. to get he can physically and he gets under know, attack him right now. He can't lunge forward and strangle right. him. Right, he's 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 tied up, he's cut up, he's beat up. Yeah, he's on his way out, so he's just gonna yeah. go out with a fucking. To the song. Italians, it's it's about you know heritage and honor, so he's trying to kind of like jab that. I almost if I would have had because I, I probably mentioned this already, but yeah, he literally finished the movie, uh, right before we did the episode, and uh, but I, I if I would have had more time, I would have googled that whole, uh, you know, Sicilian history. <laughs> No, the more the Moors conquer Sicily. I'll leave it right there, because uh, I know the Moors conquer like uh, like the Ital- Italy, like Spain, for example. You know what I'm saying? Um, which is like in Puerto Rico, it's it's a, it, it's it's not you know a secret. You know that it's part of a, of the heritage with our Spanish, European, uh, Arabic, and African heritage. But for the Italians, you know, especially a guy like him, that's a big thing. And uh, and yeah, I just love that he, it was a battle of wits and words. And, you know, he went out with the he last word, out. I guess. He yeah. went out with the last word. 
funny, and, sto- and the- funny story about that too um behind the scenes because we like to give out some trivia every now and then uh apparently dennis hopper was really nervous about that scene not not because of the n-bomb but the uh, the prop gun Walken's character, as you know, like goes right up against the head mm-hmm. with the prop gun, and those prop guns can sometimes push out when they when they fire to get that effect. And he was like, "Does it have to be so close to my fucking forehead when you shoot that mm-hmm. prop gun?" And so Tony Scott assured him it was hundred percent safe and did it and like showed it on his, you know, pointed it to his forehead to Tony Scott's forehead. Tony Scott points the gun, the prop gun, at his own forehead, and apparently when it when it discharged. Uh, it bludgeoned his skull, and Tony Scott fell over with his skull bleeding. And Dennis <laughs> Hopper still filmed the scene as such, but they filmed it from a different angle. I think if, I don't know if you watched it again, but you'll notice the scene cuts and we see the back of Hopper's head. I think that's a stunt double, and then they have the oh, thing come out of his. Yeah, because it was like, no, nah, dude, I'm not putting that fucking thing so close to my head, especially after watching your director do it. And then he yeah. fucking. And it was like one of those like heavy like revolvers, like your shoulder. Yeah, revolver. it's the it's the old school days, kid. It's before the bullshit CGI blood when they had squids and squibs and uh, actual uh, you know things going off on guns uh, and blanks and you know the good old days, you know. And, and going from here, right? We we basically the characters go to California. Right after they fuck right them on after. the side of the road in the phone booth. Yeah, they have sex on the side of the road in the how phone hot, booth. How hot? How hot is that? Is that? That is was that, pretty neat. I ain't that's, gonna lie. That's, did you do you watch Euphoria? Yeah, I I have watched some of it. Yes. Did you see Sydney Sweeney dress up as Alabama for the Halloween party? No, I have not. She dresses I up as Alabama in that <laughs> uh, in that cow skirt, and I was watching Euphoria with Jen, and I go. This is before we even, you know, months before we talked about this. And I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. She was like, oh, gross. Stop. I was like, no, it's from <laughs> it's from True Romance. But also I was like, oh. But yeah. also that's Sydney Sweeney. Just real quick, because, you know, I'm in the I'm in the homestead. Um, <laughs> Sydney Yo, Sweeney. But, Sydney, but Sweeney. You... Sydney Sweeney. Hold on. I'm not done. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Sydney, Sydney Sweeney keeps creeping into my fucking Instagram. Maybe I follow her. Maybe I don't. Um, I I don't know what what it is. I don't know what it is about that woman. I don't know it's what just... it is. I mean, I know what it is, but I also don't know. What it is. <laughs> She's so sexy. That's I I think she. I mean, I, yeah, it's um. She's it's just ridiculously hot. That's it. That's just all it is. I, and very I, talented, it, of course. I I hope that I hope that Vincent Conchetti. An associate of, of Mr. Blue Lou Boyle would not be able to see my what is it seven pantomimes of lying? A woman's got fifteen, <laughs> men's got seven. Uh, why do why do women have more pantomimes than men? They got three more <laughs> because they lie. They just lie all the time. They're just better than us, dude. They lie. They got three die. more. You'll um, die if you try. Uh, so going to California. Do go you, to California. Like, do you? So how about that Brad Pitt on the couch? Huh? How about that Brad Pitt on the couch? <laughs> but, but before we get there, do you before we actually get to California, do you think that we should have stayed in Detroit cuz I really thought it was kind of like a Detroit movie. I actually yeah. like that they end up going to LA cuz that's the whole thing like that's that's the journey, right? Like, okay, we got this coke. I got an actor friend in LA. He's got some connections, maybe he can help me sell it. Cuz if they had stayed in Detroit, the mob would have caught up with them. They would, the the feasibility or plausibility of them, yeah, in this romanticized version. I mean, remember, it's the '90s, so two hundred thousand dollars goes a long way. And he says in the movie at least two times, "We're minimum wage kids." 
you know two hundred thousand dollars cash is a lot of money for us you know gotcha yeah it almost i think they just ended up going to movie yeah it would have been it would have been a different movie but also it's just part of that again it's just part of that journey you have to have when you have a movie with characters are going to another place there's something about that. I mean, by the time they leave, Detroit's cold. It's 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 windy. There's snow on the, leftover snow on the ground. Then they get to L.A. and Aerosmith's playing, and the time the tops mm-hmm. down on the Cadillac, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's also like a true love letter to pop culture. It's it is. Tarantino's, and and it, it it speaks to that that young couple, those young kids that that go that they drive from Tallahassee, they Florida. Or they go from Detroit to Hollywood, you know what I'm saying, to make it big, and that's what they're trying to do with their lives in a way. So it makes sense, I guess. But it's it, so, it, I did it's think so fun. It, yeah, they go from like very because Detroit is very monochromatic, very cold. And know, I love yeah. that because they are who they are. They don't stay in like a fancy hotel. Like they stay in like a little like what they would consider fancy, like a little yeah. safari in motel with like a you know. It's like yeah. quasi sleazy, but it's also like it works for them, and um, you know, because they could have, they could have probably sold some of that coke along the way, and like probably got lived it up and just been irresponsible. But no, they were like they were reserved. They wanted to save it for the big payday. <laughs> you know, I yeah. love that scene on the roller coaster when they meet that. Uh, I, I always forget how to pronounce his name. Bronson is it Bronson Pinchot? Pinchot? Yeah, French. Pinchot? Uh, his name is Bronson Pinchot. Yeah, Pinchot. Like yeah, he was in Perfect Strangers, the show. Um, he's he was on a lot of other things. He's in Beverly Hills Cop as the guy that worked in the department store. Um, the over the top flamboyant gay guy. <laughs> he's great, you know. So they I couldn't mean, find they couldn't find any other uh, drug dealers along the way. They, they that's what I but that's what I love about it. <laughs> I love that when they get up with his friend Dick Ritchie. Dick Ritchie tells him he's like, "Yes, that's a lot of coke, Clarence." And yeah, there are guys that could sell it. Big shot guys. I'm not one of those guys. Like Clarence is Clarence is simple, right? He's like, oh, well, my friend Dick Ritchie works in Hollywood. Yeah. He'll he'll know people that can sell this Coke. And sure enough, he did find somebody, but it's that simplicity of like, oh yeah, we'll just go to Hollywood and that'll you know, I'm sure you had this too when you were growing up. Like there was always like one friend like in high school was like or even in college, like in my twenties, there was a guy I knew that was like, Let's just go like tonight. Let's go to this island tonight. We'll just drop everything. We'll just go. And I was like, what about school? What about school and like stuff? He's like, nah, dude, we'll just go. We'll live off the land. Like, we'll just, there's this like, when you're young and you're dumb and you're full of cum, you're just, you're a dangerous weapon. You know, you're a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes Coke in Cleveland. You have to go all the way to California. <laughs> just but um, but I'm glad I'm just, they did. I'm, I'm just got, saying because we got a good movie, didn't we? We we yeah, got a sh- we got a shootout scene. Amazing movie. Yeah, I'm glad they did because I don't think we would we would have gotten a Brad Pitt on no, a couch. We no, smoking weed out of a a honey a, a honey bottle with that with fucking Soundgarden playing in the background. <laughs> and no. I love I love that the that the mob comes by, the full mob comes by after Gandolfini comes by. And Brad Pitt has these little interactions with him the entire time. And he's really, he's ultimately like the downfall. It's him. <laughs> because if he had just stayed stoned or didn't wake up from the nap, like nothing, none of that would have happened. They never would have found him. Yeah, you see this like seven foot five Italian guy in a really nice Italian suit going, hey, where are your friends at? Right. Ah, they're over by the motel down here by the road. Safari, so, safari and motel. And I also love this too when they get the, 
Dick Ritchie gets the part. He's really excited. He's got to be. He gets to be an extra on TJ Hooker, and they're getting ready to go meet up with uh, I don't know the fucking the fake ass producer to sell the coke, um, and they're they're getting ready to leave, and Brad Pitt still in the roommate still in roommate mode, stoner roommate mode goes, hey um, got some paper towels and looks around the apartment. The cleaning products and some cleaning products, like. Like we both know he's not cleaning anything in that apartment. Yeah, yeah. But but you have to like when you ha when you're in that role, it, when you are that roommate that's just laying on the couch all day like unemployed, you have to like project that you're somehow still contributing to the the household. So you're like, "Oh, and get some cuz I got to clean this apartment. Like I'm I got I got a stake in this." That was great. That was I heard that was improvised. Oh, I'm um, sure it was. And you can tell because the, 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 it's not blocking. Like he's having, you can tell by the movement. Yeah, they're they're gone. Like they've left the seat. Yeah, yeah. He just he said, "Hey, get some some to eat." But then he he kind of looks around. And he sees the place is fucking filthy, and he goes in some cleaning products. Right, right. And that was totally improvised. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, it's it's almost weird. Like uh, the, he didn't get obviously more more lines or more scenes. But man, so many actors, you know, like Brad Pitt, all these great great actors you with what is it though because is it tony scott is it the script you know what i'm yes. saying like this is tarantino i mean i know reservoir was in cons or at the time or some really you know fancy uh cinema or festival but there's a it's attracting a lot of like amazing actors so i'm trying to figure out is it because tony scott what he did before this uh, it was that bruce willis movie with the um the Last Boy Scout. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Last Boy Scout, while it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Of course. Um, great movie. It, it's uh, Apparently, Tony Scott had a horrible time on that set working with mm. Bruce Willis. He said Bruce Willis was a pain in the ass. And he said Joel Silver was fucking horrible. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why he based, I think the actor's name is Saul Rubinek. And he, he asked Saul Rubinek to basically play a version of Joel Silver. And Saul didn't even know who Joel Silver was because Saul's more of a theater kind of guy but he's been in a lot of tv stuff like i'm sure you recognize his face when you saw him like oh that oh, guy of course um and he's great in it he's great as the producer great. uh but apparently that's why he 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 made up the role he kind of spite joe yeah, silver exactly so i so, guess him and tarantino worked together on that so I, the only thing i could think of before last boy scout would days of thunder days of thunder and then before that maybe top gun yeah so Pete, Tony Scott, like you have to remember, late eighties, eighties, late eighties, early nineties, he was still a big name, you know. And his brother's Ridley Scott, who had already done fucking Alien and fucking Blade Runner, and oh, no doubt, he's a so, he was a so, very talented director. So then, the with Tarantino the writing the script, I'm sure people were just bite, chomping at the bit, you know. Yeah, just to I be think just that, to that be that in script, it. That story. And it's cool, man, because you know, like I know Christian Slater was a big star in the eighties. But it's cool that he kind of got this movie because it it's not the kind of movie you would think if it, if it was made today, it probably wouldn't be an actor like that. But I also appreciate like, I don't know if Tarantino had much say in the casting, but everybody seems like perfectly casted, you know? Um, and it's like when you see Tarantino cast people that had a moment in Hollywood, but then no longer like he, I mean, he's de Tarantino definitely brought back Travolta after putting him For in Pulp sure. Fiction. Yeah. And, and he definitely put Samuel Jackson on the fucking map. Oh. Um, 
and even now like like bringing people like michael madsen back for a good time this movie has so many people in it that like if you ever tried to remake this movie you would have to try to cast it with such oddball actors i don't know if it would work today with the ensemble cast that it had now i don't know i think it worked very well then because everybody was kind of you know christian slater wasn't he was still pretty big he was still pretty pretty much a mainstay name he's still he was still he was still headlining movies in the early 90s hmm. you know um but tarantino is a very cinema historical yeah per, you know person he's kind of like a walking cinema library so he's a he's a creator and an artist that really appreciates your history in in filmmaking or appreciates what you've done and he's kind of like the underdog you know he's he's always been that guy that just subverted everything so it's so funny when i watch this now i'm like i'm actually seeing like the way it's shot and cut i actually see a lot of like last boy scout angles too Mm -hmm. like the zoom in on the bottle and when he's opening a bottle in the in the in the motel and that roller coaster scene when it just cuts the the, the frenetic shots of the roller coaster. It, right. It just has that very like, yeah. Like in the first Top Gun movie where it's like zoom in shots on the plane and the volleyball and the music, it's all very like, it's kinetic. It's all, yeah. It's, yeah. It's very frenetic. It can get very kinetic with Tony Scott. Um, My favorite, uh, this is probably my, my, my favorite of it, it. It was Man on Fire, but now I think it's, um, it's definitely this one. True Romance, probably. It's oh, I take love the spot. I love Man on Fire. I think we need to we need to do that one on the show too. Yeah, because that's I mean, that was probably his last great movie, Man on Fire. Because mm-hmm. after that, it kind of yeah, the Deja Vu and the but Unstoppable was pretty good with Chris Pine. That was pretty good. That. But Run yeah, his from... last great movie, I think for sure was um. Man on Fire and Domino. He did that Domino movie. Yeah, that was kind of that was that talk about frenetic. That was the most frenetic movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Like so jumpy. Could you remake this today? Could something like this be remade? I was thinking about that because it, it did th- it did remind me. So I was thinking of Brad Pitt, how like I uh, he didn't I don't think he got enough done in this movie. I I, I would have wanted to see more of him in that character, maybe. But I, and then I thought, well, I, I'm glad he got to kind of like do his thing with Tarantino, obviously, decades later in uh, Once Upon a Time, another movie that's kind of a love letter to pop culture in uh, fucking whatever. It's, that not, it's, it's not Once Upon a Time. It's, oh. it, well, it's Once Upon a Time in uh, in Hollywood. In Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if this movie today. Yeah, I can see that because I want to I'm watching it, but I and I love Tarant, um, Tony Scott, but I'm watching it and I can't help but kind of like edit that version in my head of Tarantino. It was uh, it was constantly like throughout in my mind throughout the movie. Um and I cuz he has that rhythm, you know, and his violence and and I I almost like it's it's wonderful to see Tarantino kind of give his baby like a, a script to a great director like Tony Scott, but you know, but at the same time it's like man, what it would have you know, this movie would have looked like, you know, it's more cinema, cinematography or it's more of a. No, of I, a, I, I know. I, I know what you're about to say, and I don't think it's an insult. So I hope I'm not like yeah. taking your word. I, I think this is more cinematic with Tim, with Tony Scott. And I don't I don't mean that Tarantino movies aren't cinematic. What I mean is like. 
it seems bigger with Tony Scott because Tony Scott's mm -hmm. used to shooting big things like planes, fast cars, explosions. Like this is very, and I keep saying the word frenetic, but it's very like da 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 da. You know what I mean? It's very, it's very sharp. Even when it's, even though it's told very linear in a in a linear fashion, all the shots, all the hard cuts, like it cuts sharp between Christian uh, Slater's Claire, between Clarence talking to that burger guy about Elvis showing him stuff from a magazine and then cutting to Alabama getting thrown around the motel room. Like it's just mm. hard cuts, man. Or even when they first introduced Drexel in the motel room and he blasts away fucking Samuel Jackson, everybody in the room <laughs> with a shotgun, um, just to introduce his character. Like that was very like frenetic. And I think like, maybe this isn't what you're about to say, but I think like if Tarantino had done this, it would have been glorious. It would have been amazing, but it wouldn't have had the same, scale it wouldn't have seemed as big fairy tale kind of because it is sort of a fairy tale i read that somewhere that um i, I also it probably would have been shot out it probably would have been shot like out of order too let's be real out of order for sure for sure he probably yeah, would have yeah. shot he probably would have started with like him in the bathroom talking to elvis hey man i said i liked this movie coming home in a body bag i wasn't fucking lying or sucking his dick no you say you like this movie it's all good it's like <laughs> wait this movie starts off with him talking to elvis in the bathroom and also the third act, like the ending was Tony's. I did see a little clip where Tarantino said, because that was another question on my mind. Like, like did they did they battle over creative stuff during this movie? Because it's very Quentin Tarantino. It's his script, you know? He's always had that director's mind. And Tony Scott is Tony Scott. So I'm wondering where, you know, how do you choose your battles in a project like this? And Tarantino wonderfully uh, admitted that he only had the one um, big fight with Tony Scott. It was over the ending because mm. uh, I think Tarantino originally wanted them to die. Yeah, they die. They that... die. They die in the original script. And actually, yeah. like on the director's cut, they have the storyboards for how that ending played out with her narration and everything. Because um, it, it, it it lends to that Bonnie. Because I was thinking Bonnie and Clyde too. Uh, like watching the movie throughout, so I'm thinking maybe they're gonna die in the end. But no, right. Tony Scott did not want that. He says no. You have to understand. Like I love these kids. I love these characters. It's not a fairy tale if we kill him in the end. So that and I thought it was a great ending. You know. So I, I thought it was a good ending. My too. question. You know, it, it was a good ending. It was like two kids fall in love. Yeah, they're both crazy, but now they have a son. They're living in Mexico. Let's leave him alone. Eye patches, yeah. You know, it's it's it. I I agree. I don't think I would have liked it as much if they had died. Um, I will always love that line from Chris Penn when the fucking the bodyguard thug of that producer is like lying on the floor and he's like, "I need an ambulance! I need an ambulance!" <laughs> and Chris Penn, a fucking cop, just walks over there and goes, "I'll call you a hearse," and just shoots him. And then he gets blasted by fucking by by uh. By Alabama. Alabama. The only one, the only one that ran out of there and made it out alive that wasn't, that wasn't Clarence or Alabama was fucking Dick Ritchie as he ran down the hall fucking screaming. <laughs> Man, how many, how many burgers are in this movie? I should have counted. There's a lot of burgers. I never wanted a burger so bad, like especially when it's like, let me get that extra chili cheese fries. I'm like, god damn, that sounds good right now. Especially a California, uh, you know, a West Coast burger. 
I've never had an In-N-Out burger. Is it? Is it all they're cracked up to be? I'd say it is. Like I yeah. love. Yeah, I had my first better, one maybe like six years ago, and I thought it was a like shit. I thought be, it was better really than, good. Better than Five Guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Five Guys, I think it's a little too expensive. Like I like that for the price and the quality that you get, and in and out, it's superior. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I wasn't so, yeah. sure. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's a uh, Route 66, it's burgers, it's Elvis, Americana. Yeah, it's Americana, yep. Violence, it's all that fries. great stuff. What a great fucking movie, man. What a great fucking movie. What a great fucking movie. Do you have a favorite scene? Do we do we do we name any favorite scene? Mm, are we, are, am I missing so something? Am I missing something? Um I'm still I still love that. Um let me see the Patricia Arquette scene on the rooftop where when she confesses uh to clarence um that's early on i i know you like that i know you like that movie theater scene when he's watching watching the old kung fu movies all the old kung fu movies yeah that was very touching um the uh obviously dennis hopper and uh christopher walken um watching oh my god and gary Oldman just freaking eat up the 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 screen time just crush that scene and, and every dialogue um it's yeah it's great 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 scenes memorable scenes and uh yeah i i feel like i i'm i was missing i did like what Hans zimmer did with the music yeah um but i i've i maybe that if maybe that's that tarantino version you know it would have been a i would have liked it a little bit more musical because it is it has that they still use that music in a lot of movies that are like rom-coms They'll mm. use that dun 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 dun. They'll use that in other movies, like for trailers. And it's also kind of funny because when this movie starts off, I think we get like a touchstone. No, it's not touchstone. We get um, Morgan Creek. We get that Morgan Creek Productions, and we hear that Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Banana, bam, bam, <laughs> banana. It's like that movie came out. And they were, and, yeah, they were like, "Can we use that for more? Can we just keep that since we own it?" Yeah, we'll just keep that in loop because we just like how it sounds. You know, it's not. Dude, the same. I love, I love the background. Oh, it's great, right? Yeah, there's so, there's so much. If you just Google true romance posters, there's so many fan posters out there. Um, people, the people, people just love this movie, and I think for the Blu-ray edition that came out. Mondo did a crazy sick like rendition for the cover. I have a director's cup, but it's not like this. It's like the black foil case, but that's like the I think that's the DVD. I think I still have it here somewhere. I um, really would have wished I'd seen this back in 93. First, the, this is the kind of movie I, I would like stay up and watch by myself drinking. Even after I even after I even after I went full-fledged alcoholic, I would wa- stay up and watch this movie just drinking. And just quote and just talk along with the movie and quoting the movie, you know, because yeah. it's so quotable. It's 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 also such a unique voice. For, yes, you know, the beginning of the nineties and any obviously ending the eighties. So such a unique voice, such unique style, and to have that Quinn Tarantino voice kind of usher, you know, the nineties. I would have loved to have been. I don't know how I missed this, but yeah, and and also like ninety three, ninety between ninety three and ninety five was like that those years where like I woke up to like good cinema and started kind of like, you know, my third eye was like opening for, for good cinema and, and, and movies. And I started looking at, you know, what directors do and, and, and all this stuff. So 
I'm, I, I wish I would have seen this for sure. No, I was the same way. I think I think that's what I was trying to say earlier. Like I was pretty much the same way. Like I always loved movies as a kid, but all the stuff that I watched as a kid was either like, you know, like the '90s comedy stuff, or like the, especially like the '80s and '90s action movies, you know. And that was just the only kind of shit I would watch. And then it wasn't until about this time frame, like '93, '94, like Pulp Fiction, and even like some of the early John Woo stuff, like Hard Boiled. That's when I would start branching out more and seeing like, oh, this director has this style, and this director mm. has this style. Um, then like the crow came out and I was like, Oh shit. You know, so it was just, that's when I started noticing that the nuances of that, you know? Um, and then I rewatched this movie and it's just, I mean, you can have it on the background and just come like, if you come in at any scene on this movie, you got to stop, you know, mm. it's one of those movies. Um, and again, for me, as horrible as it sounds, I think it's a tie between Drexel versus Clarence, Alabama versus Gandolfini, whatever the fuck his name was. And that Dennis Hopper and fucking Chris Walken scene, man. Mm. Those three scenes. The shootout scene at the end is fantastic too, but I just really fucking... <laughs> those three scenes, man. I do scenes. think the best... One of the best acting in the movie was in that Gandolfini, Patricia, both of them. Oh, it's great. Like I said, when he sits down after roughing her up a little bit and he's like... He's he's breaking it down like what it was like to, when he first started killing people and what it's like now like oh shit mm. you know <laughs> yeah great get a, stuff. Bit of, get a little bit of insight and uh i don't know if they remade this i almost i was thinking about this since we were talking about it we haven't done a casting call in a long time so i don't even know if i would even try to make a stab at that but if they had to redo this if somebody was interested in redoing this it might be interesting to see this played out as a tv series and I only say that because, like, it might be interesting to kind of get, dude, to get further exploration dude. into all the characters of this universe, the true romance universe. You know, you and I park our cars. Yes, sir. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know? as I was watching it. I was like, dude, I would watch an Amazon Prime. Yeah, I, I just want to see more of this world and more characters like this. Like, it's. I thought the same thing. It would work as a series. All right, let's do it. You know, let's recast this thing. Let's, yeah. Okay, so so Netflix or Amazon Prime is picking this up, and uh, well, Tarantino wants to write TV. He already said. Well, it. I okay, mean, so Tarantino wants writing, to write Star Trek, but you know. But we get. Uh, well, I mean, that couldn't happen soon enough. But we get. Uh, maybe maybe we could get like some more in, some more background on 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 Alabama's character. Not an origin story, but kind of an origin story, kind of her story. And a little bit of Clarence, you know, because I can't. A little bit of Clarence, dude. How do you? Because Elvis, like the first thing Elvis says, right. like you, you said on the show, right? The, the main word there was haunting, right? You know, Are there's you, trauma do you, do you, there. Do you feel? Do you feel haunted? Do you feel haunted? That, that so, can't be the first time he's felt haunted, and that can't be the first time he's walked in a place with a gun in his sock. He had that gun ready to go. So I'm like, you what don't else go he... from being a comic book, you know. Clark or whatever to just blowing people's faces off. Right. You know? Some she, some other shit has happened in his life, and it would be interesting to see. I don't need a whole season dedicated to it. It would be kind of cool to see a few episodes, and then they could adapt parts of the movie and just expand upon it. Like we could get like a season of them leading up to the events of this movie, and then like another season of the the events unfolding. But then maybe get like a whole episode devoted to Drexel and like what his whole shit was about. You know? Yeah, yeah. Again, I keep. I know I keep mentioning it, but like that preacher thing, where it's like, and I remember the books. You would see Jesse Custer's 
trauma and his background, yeah, what happened 100%. with his dad and his parents and Tulip and they what used to lock to go him. They together. used to lock Jesse Custer in a fucking wooden box and throw him in the bottom yeah. of a fucking pond or lake or pond something. Or yeah, a lake or whatever, dude. And he would I'll be locked in this that. like airtight. I think they gave him like a tube for yeah. air. And just kept him there in darkness. And that's when he started seeing John Wayne and talking to John Wayne. And that's what got him. Through. Oh, my God. That's why. You see my name? I saw it. Oh, I saw it. That's why I'm John Wayne in this. I fucking love it. <laughs> now, was that in the show? I never watched the show. Was the show good? I, I never got that far. I don't think just the show was good. I, could, I couldn't get me. past the first episode. Yeah, me too, I think. Because I just love the original material so much that I just, the show... I didn't think it was uh, which is weird because that 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 comic book definitely lends itself to TV. Like if you did it right, here's my thing, and I know you might roll your eyes at this. A lot of people that love comics usually do. I don't know why they don't just. And this is the one thing I always liked about Zack Snyder. I don't know why they don't just shoot panel for panel now. Because remember what Robert Rodriguez did with Sin City? I'm glad you mentioned Sin City because I was just thinking about that two days ago. There's some stories that guess what. Just it shoot, just works. Just yeah. shoot panel for panel, and the people will still buy it and watch it. We want to see that shit acted out. But I don't granted, you, I don't Frank need Miller you to twist did direct it. in a way Sin City, even though it was Roger Rodriguez. But it was. We all know. Frank, we all know that was a that was a gen, that was a generosity thing. We all know that he like let Frank Miller in the back door of the, the director's guild so he, so he could so he could have director's credit so that he could one day direct the spirit which was not so good but uh you know it was it was it was original in, in its own way i guess oh my god and he's got a blu-ray copy of it folks he's got <laughs> hey you know what though he swung for the fences he yeah, swung he for did. the fences and that's I'm more right here dude so that's, that's more than ones I'm watching next i'm glad you mentioned it yeah, the, the, the crow in sin city Yep. Sin City's another one of those you can just rewatch and rewatch and rewatch, and uh, I think they should do that more often. Just like, hey, you have a great graphic novel, you have a great comic book. Don't worry about adapting it or, or making it more, you know, ex- accessible to 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 the general public. Just shoot this bitch scene for scene. Hmm. You know, you did it with three hundred for the most part, and people loved that shit. You know, hey, well, so I don't know. Beautiful. I'm just a guy. Look, look, look. I'm a minimum wage kid, okay? And a, <laughs> as the sun sets slowly in the west, we bid you a fond farewell, you know? She even tastes like a peach, Dad. She even tastes like a peach. Mm, boy was right. Tastes they like lingered too long on that kiss a little. I don't know. Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Wasn't it kind of hot? <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I got nothing. I got nothing. Da- Daddy wanted some of that peach. <laughs> What would you rate this movie? Okay, out of our six beautiful ratings that we have. By the way, Comic Conzies, I don't know if you know or not, but we have six beautiful ratings. We have Call It a Work Good, Movie Theater Good, Home Video Good, Kitchen on Cable Good, Sick with the Flu Good, and Solitary Confinement Good. I think you know what I'm going to rate it, but go ahead. I'm, like I said, I wish I had seen this in 93, so I'm going to say watch it at Theater Good. Like, so I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying call it a work. If this motherfucker came out with an anniversary edition and they were like, "Yeah, we're showing it um uh, at this little rinky dink theater for its anniversary," I would call it a work, even if the show didn't start till like seven o'clock and I could have worked that day. I'm like, no, I'm gonna mentally prepare myself. You know, I'm gonna call out of work and I'm gonna go see this bitch. 
or I'm going to call out of work, go see this and stay up so late talking about it. I'm going to have to call out of work. Hmm. You know what I mean? I might even call, I might call out of work for the creator. What about you? I mean, the the hype around this would have got probably with the right amount of hype. I would have. Yeah, definitely felt like this is kind of like this indie movie, but with like star power and, you know, great stuff. Yeah, I I would love to see the work, go to see the movies. Yeah, dude, I would love to see this on the big screen. Yeah. Like I said, it's my favorite movie of the year. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) There hasn't been a lot of good ones this year, has there? 2023. I'm trying to think. Yeah, like you didn't like Mission. No, uh, you didn't like. I did like that Dungeons and Dragons. That was pretty good. That was fun. Yeah, that was a fun guy. A lot of fun with that one. Yeah. How about that Hugh Grant? Huh? No, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I don't know if there's been anything. I don't. I'm trying to think of something that came out see. this year that I absolutely fucking loved. I mean, I really loved Guardians Three. I know some people are hit or miss on that, but I really loved it. I watched it twice in theaters. And that's the only movie I've watched more than once this year. Like like newish. I never finished Indiana Jones. Mission mm. Impossible was good, but I don't know if I'd watch it again anytime soon. I'm trying to think. Yeah. There really hasn't been anything that... No, nothing that really... Uh... I really love that Guardians 3, though. I mean, the Motomoto has shat all over it, but, but, I, but I really loved it. I thought it was great, and I cried like a bitch both times. Um, oh really? I didn't. I didn't do the. I didn't feel the. the I, it didn't hit me in the field seats for some. Oh, reason. it got. It got me good, man. Mm. It got me good. That, it got a lot of people. That that rocket, man. Oof. Yeah, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is. I think my my favorite movie. Dungeons and Dragons was like the sleeper hit for me because like I wasn't really that stoked on seeing it. I wanted to see it, but I wasn't like hyped. Um, and then I watched it like on demand, and it was like, oh shit, this shit's fucking great. I wish I had seen it in theaters. There was a movie that I'm going to watch that. that it's called, um, I think, Zisu. Zisu Vengeance is Golden. Zizu. Oh, oh uh, I've heard of that. It's like the Swedish one, right? Swedish one, yeah. Yeah. It kind of looks like or feels like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Was the, North, was the Northman 2023? Or was that? Oh, I think that 2020? was 2022. Okay. The Flash was all right. Yeah, the Flash was good. I won't say it was bad. I I, I only rewatched the Batman scenes on on the Max. I didn't there you watch, go. I didn't rewatch the whole movie. I just rewatched for Keaton. Did you hear about uh, Tim Tim Burton kind of like not having a lot of love for what they yeah, did? He's I mean, that's not that's no surprise there. Not surprise, right? But it's weird though because I I kind of get it. You know, that's your baby. Like why? It's funny to hear him still talk about it because I thought he was like long over that, but apparently yeah. he's not. No, it's weird because yeah, because he doesn't give it his blessing, but at the same time you got a Michael Keaton who's kind of like blessing the project. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like it's kind of weird. I didn't see Oppenheimer. I can't believe I fucking didn't see that movie yet. Oh, you know what? That might be that might be my pick. I think Oppenheimer might be the best movie of 2023. But I also really loved fucking Barbie. Barbie, yeah, I did see that one. Like, I didn't see, I didn't see are, Blue Beetle. I haven't seen that. I heard it's good. I haven't watched it. I watched it. But yeah. Do we yeah, need more movies? I think we I think we need more movies like this where it's just like crazy ordinary people that are not that ordinary, but nobody has superpowers and there's no capes and sh- and bad shit happens. 
I know. Yeah, that's crazy that the the Comic Cons is coming from the Comic Cons. I know. I know. <laughs> well, because I think about it, I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Like, we need more. Like, I think we might need more Man on Fires, more Sicarios, yeah. more more No Country for Old Men. Hmm. Um, I think we're kind of heading in that direction. We need more yeah. of that. We need more of that shit. You know, that way when the superhero movie does come around, it's it's more of a spectacle again. Correct. You know? Not the other way around. Yes. Right. Like shit. Okay. Yo, no, I'm I'm so glad um we did this. This episode. I'm so glad you gave me direction to watch this. I don't know why I never seen this, but and I'm 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 loving that you love the movie, of course, so much. And uh yeah. Well, actually, wow. Dune, Dune Part 2 was going to be one of my favorites this year, but that got pushed back. Oh, that does look really good. Yeah. That does look really good. I'm pretty sure that would have been one of my favorites. When it come out. Yeah. I'm, really, I'm really excited for the creator. Um, That's coming out, like, next weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm watching so, that for sure. So, Gareth know. Edwards, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, we know, we, you know, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. And we got uh, we still got to finish up Ahsoka and, Lo- and Loki Season 2 starting up soon, so... That's good stuff, yeah. It's still good stuff. Still good. I I I do I do stand by this. I do think we're spoiled as an audience, mm. you know, like spoiled rotten, like to the point where people are yawning during Ahsoka, and I'm like, did you not watch episode five? Did you not see the cinematography with Vader with Anakin walking through a fucking battle and getting a snapshot of it? Like that shot, that whole sequence, that's TV, and people are like. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, you fucking spoiled motherfuckers. <laughs> like, I haven't I, seen it, but I've heard about the shot. That's yeah, why it's a, shot. Sh- yeah. it's a great it's a great it's a great I think it's the episode that redeemed the whole show personally, but um mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it's just one of those things I think we're just so fucking like what are their what are our expectations now, you know? Yeah. We become desensitized. Is that the word? Maybe it is, it is, man. Yeah. So yeah, if anyone's out there listening, just remake this as a show for Netflix, and let's get at least two and a half, three seasons, or let's really explore these characters. Even Scagnetti and his 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 partner and the police force there. I just I want to see the whole fucking shebang. And I love it. I love this. Last thing I'm gonna say, and I say this too. I say this at fucking work at the Moon Base or Hall of Justice, wherever. When they pull that fucking Shakespeare out of their ass and they go, and we knew something was rotten in Denmark. I fucking love that shit. You can hear it in Pulp. You can hear it in Resi. Mm. Pretty sure you can hear it in almost every Tarantino movie with the exception of maybe Kill Bill. But it's definitely in this one. And it's definitely in uh, most of his scripts. Like, I know something was rotten in Denmark. You know, that's just one of his things. And I just love that that just keeps circulating. I love that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I want to see more Patricia Arquette in Route 66. Mm. In toll booths before the beatdown, and before the beatdown. Right. Okay. Well, Jay, I can't thank you enough for doing this, man. This is always a pleasure. You know, I love doing this with you. I love doing it with you, doing it on you, doing it for you, doing it to you. Ooh. And this is, uh, a, this is a true romance, sir. This is a true romance. Secret confessions <laughs> of a. You know, we didn't get too vulgar on the show. Actually, we we kind of yeah. kept it. We kind of kept it to the film. You class up the joint, sir. I try, <laughs> you know. I like it. Yeah, I'll let you go. I uh, and I'll let the Comic Conzies know this. Whatever we said on this show, 
whether it waxed your balls, nared your taints, okay, caused the hairs on your toes to stand up stiff and go, where is the peanut butter and the toe jam? Just remember, at the end of the day, whatever we said on this show, it is just fiction. Do not take it seriously. Please, for the love of God, don't take it seriously. Except for the fact that you should watch this movie, True Romance, because it is one of the greatest films of all time. And if you don't think so, well, you can go fucking jump off a cliff. I'll call you a hearse. That's all, folks. It's just fiction. Thanks for listening.